Well, good morning, everyone. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we continue on with this, with this wonderful book. The Corinthians, as we're finding out, made many mistakes individually and as, as a church, and we do also, uh, don't we? We look at our lives, we're not perfect. Thankful we have a Savior. And thankful that the Lord didn't leave us to ourselves, and we have books like this that can guide and direct us, and the Lord can use these to give us wisdom on how to live uh, in, the, in the body uh, of the church life. Um, I had a friend who, when every time he would preach or teach the scriptures, he would say, this is my favorite passage in the Bible. And of course, he said that every time he preached, and it was his favorite text for that day. Um, I particularly like 1 Corinthians 12 because it so much shows us the wonderful thing that the Lord has done in bringing us all together uh, in, in the church um, as members of a local New Testament church. I would like to um, just let, as again, we're, what we're doing is Paul is answering the Corinthians questions and the overall theme of this book is from chapter 2, verse 2, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I picked a couple of different lesson verses today. We're going to cover those. Uh, be verse uh, 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So that's the purpose of spiritual gifts. And uh, verse 11, but one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So we're going to be covering those verses. I put this on your sheet. I took this from the Countryside's uh, doctoral statement that I saw online. I just copy-pasted it. It's under the section of church, and it's dealing, the church and dealing with spiritual gifts. And it says, we believe and teach the need of the church to cooperate with God as he accomplishes his purpose in the world. To that end, he gives the church spiritual gifts. He gives men, not only men, gifts, offices to the church chosen for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry and what we're going to cover today. He also gives unique and special spiritual attributes to each member of the body of Christ. And there's footnotes where you can look up those scriptures with uh, each of those um, statements in there. Well, let's go on with our with our lesson, and we're going to look first at uh, 1 through 3. And again, there's uh, 31 verses in this chapter. If you think you're going to go away with a complete, con wonderful overview in and in detail of every point, uh, we won't be able to do that. But I'm going to hopefully concentrate on the middle part of the chapter that it's going to be so beneficial and crucial for us to understand as a church. So introduction. Um, I'd like to read verses 1 through 3, if you'd follow along with me. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3, on the topic of spiritual gifts. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, Paul writes, Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I have a quote here I'd like to share with you. It's in uh, David from G David Garland's commentary. And, and he says, Paul's topic, and he kind of explains this introduction. 
Paul's topic is the spiritual gifts, and the thesis is, is that all Christians are spiritual. In this introduction, Paul contrasts the Corinthians' religious past with their spiritually transformed present as Christians and affirms that everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord is directed by the Spirit. Of course, that's, um, that's verse 3 that he's, that he's referring to. This affirmation heads off any claim that some are more spiritual than others because they show evidence of having the more electrifying and exciting spiritual gifts. So, Paul begins the chapter and he uses those words, now concerning. Just as we've seen in our last lesson from chapter 11, where the Corinthians had abused the Lord's table, they had also been abusing their spiritual gifts. And Paul begins to address those concerns, now concerning spiritual gifts. And he says in in verses 2 and 3 that the Corinthians were negatively impacted by their pagan practices in their culture, which they hadn't fully separated from. And it appears that some of them were still meddling with bizarre practices and mystery religions, and that was creeping into the church, frenzies and ecstasies and chants and mystical experiences, which resulted in the misuse, or at least at a minimum, counterfeit gifts within the church, and especially with the more uh, visible speaking gifts And Paul concludes that section there in verse 3, this introductory section, by categorically stating that if you want to know if someone is speaking by the Spirit, verse 3, they will proclaim the truth about Jesus, and by the Spirit of God, they will say, Jesus is Lord. So there's an introduction. Here's the spiritual gifts, Paul says, and I don't want you to be uh, unaware of these. I don't want you to be ignorant. He wants to inform them about them. I've given you a um, definition of, uh, oh yeah, I think I'll cover these here. I don't have these on your sheet, but Paul didn't want the Corinthians to be unaware or ignorant about their spiritual gifts, so he writes chapters 12, 13, and 14. A quick overview, chapter 12 today, general instructions about our spiritual gifts, 13, the priority of love, even over spiritual gifts, and 14, a specific response to the misuse of spiritual gifts. And the the Corinthians had an issue, and there was a misuse of the gifts that were going on, again, especially as we'll see in chapter 14 with the visible speaking gifts. And Paul, again, concludes here that, um, that, and, and what he's doing is he's writing them so that he can correct these issues. What I did leave with you on your sheets is a definition of spiritual gifts, or you'll hear the word giftedness, which which is, uh, it's on your handout, and at at the moment of salvation, every believer without exception is given a spiritual, supernatural ability by the Holy Spirit. And all Christians are obligated to exercise their spiritual giftedness to the glory of God and for the building up of one another in the church. Since these are God-given endowments for Christian service, they can't be earned, they can't be learned or manufactured. They are given as grace gifts according to God's sovereign will, and every believer should be grateful and content with whatever giftedness they've received. These gifts are under the Holy Spirit's control, and he empowers each believer in effectively ministering to one another through his divine enablement for the edification, the building up, the growth, and the good of the church. And all of this will bring glory to the Lord. Let's get into some of the details of this, of this chapter so that we can, we, can, um, we can see 
what Paul is instructing them about. The first point that I'd like to look at is the allotments of different kinds of gifts by one spirit. That's the first blank for those that are taking notes uh, to fill in on your sheet. In verses 4, 5, and 6, Paul here is going to, um, is going to uh, tell us something about uh, cat- categorizing the gifts, but let me read those verses and maybe a little bit further. Follow along as I read verses 4 through 11. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Well, we see back in verse 4 that God has chosen first the character of your gift. That's, that's with the wording of the varieties of gifts. This is what your giftedness will be to you as an individual. But not only that, in verse 5, God has decided the context of your service, the varieties of ministries, where your gift will be used within the church. And verse 6, God has determined the result of your efforts, the variety of effects. What will be the outcome? What is going to be the fruit when you exercise your gifts? What is God going to do through you and what will be the the results of that? But I want you to notice something important in verse 6 also with, um, with this phrase. It is God who works all things in all persons. You'll notice there that God is the source of our gifts. It is so important to remind ourselves that our grace gifts are graciously given to us from God. And you'll see that as we go through the text, but it's verses 6 through 9, verse 11, verse 18, verse 24 and 25. It points out the fact that it is God, God the Holy Spirit, that is working these gifts, particularly um, as we move along, or he is giving them as he, as he desires. First, um, Peter put it this way. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he says, God's Spirit allots the gifts to us as each has received a special gift. He's saying we receive them. That means they are a gift. We don't conjure them up. We don't manufacture them. We don't try to go to a class to figure out how it is that we're supposed to do these. It is something that is given to us, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But as we've received these gifts, we are to employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As good stewards, that phrase there from Peter, that lets us know that our gifts are owned by God. And we are to be good stewards, faithfully managing our giftedness and obedience to the Lord. And did you notice Peter said that we receive them, we're to be good stewards of them, and he also says that, that we are to be those, and it goes on in that verse, he says that we are to employ our gifts in serving one another. If you write that down, you could jot down 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, two uh, great verses to take a look at. But back in, um, back in chapter 12, not only does God tell us what our gift's going to be and where it's going to be used and what the result is going to be, 
But God has also um, prescribed to us the purpose of our gifts. Let's see if I can find that one. There it is, the bo- at the bottom of the screen here. The purpose of our gift is in verse 7. Did you notice that those words? Each one, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All, what that means is all Christians are given spiritual gifts, not for our own self-edification, not to enrich or fulfill us, and not for our personal or private use either, like some of the Corinthians were wrongly doing. Exercising our gifts means that we are serving and we are giving and others are receiving the benefit of our exercising of our gifts. Our God-given gifts are for the common good. That means for the benefit of or for the, for the profit of the church's spiritual well-being. To build up our brothers and sisters in Christ and, to, and uh, as we minister our gifts to them. It's for the advancement of the spiritual growth of the church, and certainly this will all redound to the glory of the Lord. So here's, that's, the next point is um, Paul gives a sample listing of some of the gifts of the Spirit in verses 8 through 10. And I really like this quote from MacArthur's commentary, and it kind of just outlines a whole lot of what's going on in these verses, and when it comes to the spiritual gifts and all the instances of where they are noted in the New Testament. Spiritual gifts, MacArthur says, fulfill two major purposes. The permanent gifts edify the church, and the temporary gifts are signs to confirm the word of God. God will continue to give the permanent gifts to believers for the duration of the church age, and those gifts are to be ministered by his people at all times in the life of the church. That's for us today. Those those permanent gifts include first the speaking or verbal gifts, prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, teaching, and exhortation, and second, the serving or nonverbal gifts like leadership, helps, giving, mercy, faith, and discernment. I'm going to describe some of those as we go along. But the temporary sign gifts, like the majority of these gifts that are listed here in verses 8 through 10, were limited to the apostolic age, and therefore they ceased in time. Those temporary gifts included miracles, healings, tongues or languages, and the interpretation of languages. And the purpose of the temporary sign gifts was to authenticate the apostolic message of the Word of God. That was to show that, that, to attest to the fact that these men were speaking for God and what they were saying was from God. And those signs were used for that until the time when the scriptures, his written word, were completed and became self-authenticating. And because, like I said, I will not have enough time to go through each gift, I will provide an overview of some of the details on one of the slides that, that I'm going to show pretty soon. But I first want to give you, and this is on your sheet also, if you want to study where all of the lists are of the spiritual gifts in the New Testament, they're in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Great places to go. And again, those are on your handouts. Pastor Tom had taught a uh, series on gifted to serve, and he showed this slide. Sorry for the quality of this. I couldn't get it any better. But it's showing in those places that I just mentioned up above where uh, in, in the New Testament, which gifts are mentioned in those places. Now, this just tells you where they are, but it doesn't tell you what kind of gift they are. So that's why I gave you this 
the, the list of the temporary miraculous gifts and that, the permanent ministering gifts, on your sheet also so that you would know what kind, what category. Are they temporary, gone, ceased, or are they permanent, still with us today? And you can see the permanent ones preaching, which is similar to the non-revelatory exercise of the gift of prophecy, teaching, exhortation, service, helps, leading and administration, giving, showing mercy, faith, spiritual discernment, evangelism, and shepherding and, and teaching. Your Bible commentaries, systematic theology books, and books written on this topic would be excellent resources for digging deeper. And like I said, I was going to help uh, just give a flavor of when it comes to these speaking and serving permanent gifts that are being exercised even in the church body here at Countryside even today. The first one is teaching. I just want to give you a flavor, some definitions here. The, the person who has the giftedness of teaching has the ability to grasp, arrange, and present revealed truth effectively so that that person's hearers understand the scriptures. Secondly, exhortation. That person has been supernaturally given the ability to explain and apply the truth to believers and persuade them to believe and obey. Service and helps, it's the ability to know how best to address people's temporal needs. And that person possesses, again, a supernatural ability from God, a special gift, an unusual skill to be able to meet those needs. Giving is a person who has the ability to effectively invest one's material resources for the spiritual and kingdom purposes. Showing mercy is the ability to be able to help, assist, and relieve those experiencing distress, misery, or pain. And the last one I've, I'm given as an example is leadership or, or administration. And those with this gift are responsible to guide the congregation, both spiritually and in everyday decision-making. And, of course, uh, our elders here at Countryside exercise that gift. Again, this is not a comprehensive list. You certainly can get more details from all the great resources that are available to you. But what's important, and when it comes to gifts, and you think, well, man, there's so many gifts, and how does this all work? We should understand that we all have a spiritual gift, and most likely a combination, a blending of the spiritual gifts. And when I say blending, it's almost like an artist who has his or her, her color palette. I don't know if you've ever seen an artist, the color palette, and they'll take their paintbrush and dip it into the, to the uh, palette and choose different colors and then go over to their canvas and they'll come up with a different color or at least um, more enhance what's going on on, on their painting. And it's as if for us in the spiritual realm with spiritual gifts that God dips his paintbrush onto his palette of spiritual gifts to blend our own unique abilities for spiritual service which will bring him the most glory. That's why I think we can more accurately speak of each of us having a giftedness rather than just saying that we only have one spiritual gift. Well, moving along. The same spirit allots gifts to each. And we see this in verse 11. Verse 11 summarizes verses 4 through 10. And though we receive unique and differing allotments, every endowment of our giftedness is supernaturally and sovereignly given to every Christian by God the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in verse 11, it is one and the same spirit 
works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And it's, it's important for us to note um, that these gifts are not for the spiritually elite, but for the whole church. And that's right, every Christian in this room has received their perfect blending, your special distribution which equips you to serve God best for the rest of your Christian life. And when does that happen? Those are given. Those are distributed to us upon our salvation. God, the Holy Spirit, works through these gifts. You notice that word in verse 11, the Spirit works. That uh, has the idea of energizing all of these things. He works through these gifts to fulfill his divine purposes within the body. And we'll hear more about that in our next section, which is uh, Roman numeral number three, diversity and interdependence of members of Christ's body. And that runs from 12 to the end of the chapter. If you would... Follow along with me uh, beginning uh, in verse 12. I'm just going to read 12 to 14 right now. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And for several verses of this section here, Paul is going to use the human body as an analogy for the unity and for the interrelationships and for the interdependence of the members of Christ's body, the church. And it's notice, he uses the word body upwards of 16 times in this section. And the human body, as we know, is an amazing creation of God. Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The body has complex organs. It has complex systems and, and parts. And, but with all of that said, with all of those parts, it is still one unit. It is still one body. And if you were to take and cut off one piece of the body, that piece would cease to function and it dies and the rest of the body would have be impacted. Functions might be lost, and certainly wholeness would be lost. The body is more than the sum of all its parts. And Paul put it this way, um, the first point here, the body as one, but with many members. Paul, in verse 12, had said, if you noticed it, for even the body, as the body is one, and yet has many members, all those members of the body, though they are many, are one body. Verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. And verse 20, in a section we'll be coming to, but now there are many members, but one body. To emphasize the unity of all believers, in verse 13, Paul reminds us that at the moment of our salvation, we are spiritually baptized. The Spirit of God has placed us into the body of Christ, and therefore we are all one body. And I, I believe that Paul is stressing to that because stressing that to the Corinthians because they had gone off track and they're focusing on themselves and what they can get out of it or what they haven't gotten out of the spiritual gifts. And Paul stresses this to show the uniqueness and blessedness of our oneness in Christ. And maybe he did this to crush the Corinthians' wayward ideas of self-sufficiency or individualism. And that can only result in divisions and factions. And as we will see in the next point, we all need 
one another for our own, uh, for the church's spiritual well-being and for growth. And that's in this section here, 15 to 20, diversity of members within the body. There is a diversity. You need me is the motto here that, that uh, I've chosen for this section. MacArthur has a great quote. He says, by his illustration of how every part of the human body is essential to the function of that body, Paul showed that unity is an indispensable need in the church. So we, we need unity, yes. But how does God make that unity come about when it comes to the different members in the church? Well, but, but divinely provided diversity within that unity is also necessary. We're going to see that as we go along. So no doubt, Paul is answering questions. Reports had come back to him. Questions maybe had come back to him. And he must have heard that some of the members of the Corinthian church were not happy campers when it came to the allotment of their gifts. They were discontented with the gifts that they had received, and they wanted gifts that they had not received, and most likely what they were wanting, and it's very apparent, it appears, the showy gifts, the, the public, more visible abilities and powers. And what they were doing is questioning God's wisdom, of course, and accusing God of making a mistake when he allotted the spiritual gifts and the places of ministry in the church. And I'm going to read the next section. It's verses 15 to 20, and it's going to be very evident. These verses will speak speak for themselves, just follow along as I read 15 to 20. Go back to the analogy here. Very, very poignant from the Apostle Paul. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing, or the whole body made up of completely of ears, where would the sense of smell be? But look what God has done. But God, now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The foot, who wants to be the hand, may say it's not part of the body, but the fact remains it's attached to the body, and it is part of the body. And the discontented Corinthian church member, desiring the different gifts rather than the ones that God had sovereignly gave them, they are also part of the body, no matter what they think about their their gifts. There are needs within the church that only they can fulfill, utilizing the gifts that God had given to them. All right. For those of you that might be eating, just uh, I hope this doesn't upset you, but take a look at this picture. A body made up of all eyes. What if this was the reality when, when it came to the human body? I guess if this mom had kids, uh, she could say to her kids, I've got my eyes on, on you. But what about this guy? All ears. I mean, this is not the human body as God intended. Uh, imagine that these guys could use a lot of Q-tips in, in their lifetime. I mean, this is not the way that it is supposed to be when it comes to the, to the human body. That's not how God made the body. I want to... Um, I hope that wasn't too ascending for <laughs> that little one. I hope something, I hope something else is, is going on there.
Paul says in verse 19, if they were all one member, where would the body be? Our human body isn't made up of 5,000 eyes or 2,000 ears. I mean, that's, that's pretty grotesque to think about, but it's also dysfunctional. A lot of abilities would be missing. Paul says that here. And verse 19 said that if, if really if that was the case, there really would be no body at all. And when it comes to the spiritual gifts in the church, we cannot all have the same, like the Corinthians wanted, showy public or visible gifts. As an example today, we will not all be preaching or teaching in front of the, the congregation or leaders in the church. Think about it. If every member of Countryside Bible Church all had the exact same spiritual gift and all had the exact same, same ministry within the church, we all went to the same place, did the same thing, all at the same time, biblically speaking, we would not really be a church at all, certainly not functioning as a church as God had intended. When Paul wrote the church at Rome, uh, these are just some, a verse that I really like to go to because it kind of helps us see what it is that God's, the beautiful thing God's done in the church. Paul wrote, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, there it is, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Same things Paul's saying here in, in chapter 12. And, he's, and he concludes this uh, portion of this verse, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So we have differing gifts. That's God's design. One body made up of many members. All that diversity of gifts, and they're all exercised in, in the church. And I so appreciate the diversity and the variety of gifts that God has put here uh, at Countryside that we get to witness and not only witness or see, but benefit from. Our God is so wise, he knows what gifts are needed by every church, and though you feel you may be serving quietly, maybe behind the scenes, with what you might think is a less prominent gift like helps or service or mercy or giving, and you think no one cares about your contributions, and though you are not publicly seen, maybe you're not recognized like others, our, our God sees what you are doing and is pleased when his children are content with his allotments and faithfully in, uh, serve the Lord, obediently serving him by exercising the gifts that he has given to you. It's so helpful when we understand that our individual ministry contributions at Countryside are so very much needed. And we can bless the Lord that he's given us gifts and a place to minister for him here with those abilities. In verse 18, we saw this again, kind of just nailing it home, but now God has placed the member, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. Not as we desired, but as he has desired. And let me encourage you, my Christian brother or sister in Christ, when you are saved, God sovereignly chose the giftedness to personally give to you. He has not made a mistake. You are his unique gift for the church's good, for the common good. Others will receive a blessing from your loving service to them. And don't think that you'll be happy or satisfied if you were endowed with someone else's gift. It's, a sin, it's sinful to be envious or jealous and desiring the gifts that God has given to others. That's where the Corinthians went wrong. And we need to learn to be content and happy with the giftedness that we've received from the Lord. He knows how to give all of us the very best that's possible. And that special enabling 
that God has given to someone else would not be the best for you. Our church needs your giftedness, your unique abilities, your blending, your place of ministry, your contributions by exercising your and yours only gift for the benefit and the profit and the maturity spiritually and the effectiveness of the church. So in this section, kind of like what I have for number two at the end of that, that bullet point, Paul clearly states that the diversity of the gifts within the church body is so necessary for promoting unity within the church body so that we could humbly say, you need me. We're needed in the body because God has put us there and there is that, that need. We're going to see a little bit more in the next section, interdependence of members of the body. I need you, verses 21 to 26. In our previous point, some of the Corinthians were upset because they didn't have the more showy or public gifts. And they felt that they were not necessary to the body and were wrongly saying, they don't need me. I'm not part of the body. In this section, Paul addresses those in the church who were looking down on and belittling those who, with the more quiet or less prominent gifts. And Paul again is going to use the analogy of the human body to correct them. And that's in verses 21 to 26. Check, uh, follow along with me. 21 to 26. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. You got it there? That's where I get the, the, the I need you, are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, given, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that, for this, this purpose clause, this reason, there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. If you look at verse 21, we see there that the eye and the head, or the more visible parts of the body, they represent the prominent members who who were the, had the more visible or showy gifts. And in Corinthians, of course, the tongues or languages, prophecy and miracles. And they were belittling those within the church that had the less prominent or the quiet gifts, the behind-the-scenes gifts. And these, these members thought that they were so much more important that they disdained those that they perceived had less um, prominent or less needed gifts within the church. And at Corinth, of course, this caused more divisions, and this unbiblical and indifferent proud attitude would divide any church even today. So Paul lets the hammer fall by letting them know that no eye or no head in the church has the right to say to anyone else, as they did in 21b, that I have no need of you. And Paul corrects them by saying in verse 22, on the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem, though they are not because they're needed, they seem to be weaker, are necessary. Paul continues again. He's using this body, uh, human body analogy to stress how vitally important the weaker or the less honorable, the less presentable, the behind the scenes 
uh, members are. And, of course, in this analogy, he's referring to the internal organs of the body. I mean, just consider this. You could lose an eye or an ear or a hand or a foot, a more visible part of your body, and you could go on living. But you cannot survive if you lose your heart, your liver, or your brain. And there's no transplant. It's It's gone. We don't notice the internal organs doing their crucial jobs. They seem to be weaker, less attractive, less presentable, yet all of them are vital and necessary for life and the proper functioning of the body. And what Paul is trying to get across in the spiritual life in the church is that those with the more visible showy gifts, um, as an example, maybe the leaders, the prominent public speakers, rather than looking down or labeling the less prominent gifts as less significant, They should value them. They should show appreciation for them and protect them. And I'm I'm so thankful that that is done at Countryside Bible Church. When we have our announcements, there are many times when there's a giving of thanks for those that have the spiritual gifts where they're working behind the scenes. They're not the ones that are... uh, uh, recognizable. They're not the ones that are out there in the forefront, the, the members of Countryside Bible, like those that are, that are maybe those that put up the Christmas decorations or the vaca- Vacation Bible School volunteers, those that are prepping and cleaning the worship center, uh, the first impressions teams like our ushers and greeters and welcome center hosts and the, park, the guys out in the parking lot. And the list of the vital servants is so long, so necessary for our church to function effectively to the glory of God and so much appreciated. And Paul makes that sentiment clear here in verse 23. Those members of the body which we deem are less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. The Corinthians weren't doing that. And I trust that, that we will, that we will value and that we will, we will honor and appreciate and thank the Lord for those that are behind the scenes doing those things that bring the glory to the Lord as people uh, utilize their gifts. And Paul says something else is happening here. Briefly, in verse uh, 25 and 26, he reminds us of another one of God's purposes in having a diversity of the various gifts among the the members of the church body. Because as we labor together, as we're encouraging each other and benefiting, benefiting from each other's gifts and ministry to each other, we will see by God's gracious working in and among us an increase of the mutual support and encouragement. Did you notice the, again, another purpose clause in verse 25? It says, so that there may be no division. Of course, that is important, the unity in the diversity of the gifts. But he goes on to say, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That's seen as we're exercising our gifts and we're having a care, and we're encouraging each other. And as we, we exercise our giftedness, it promotes unity in the body. Again, everyone is essential. Everyone's needed. Everyone is significant in God's sight and plan for the church. And this promotes us in having a care for each other. Verse 26 says, If one member suffers, we all suffer along with them. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice. To summarize this point, Paul is saying, you with the visible gifts, the showy gifts, you can't meet all the needs in the church. And the church will not grow, nor be built up in the faith, nor experience the fruit of powerful life-changing ministry without the contributions of the weaker, without the contributions of those that are less visible members. And these 
were the ones that the Corinthians had wrongly underestimated and undervalued. Rather than proudly saying, I don't need you, as they did, Paul is correcting them so that they can learn to say, I need you. Okay, the last section of our chapter today is in verses 27 to 31. I'll read those. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Of course, these are rhetorical questions. The Apostle Paul, um, the answer is no, they don't. And Paul has already made that very clear in, in what he has taught. And then he goes on to finish this, cha- this chapter, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you still a more excellent way. Paul reminds the Corinthians and us that we are part of Christ's body and should never take it lightly that we are individual members of the body to whom God has allotted a special, unique enabling and giftedness. Paul continues here by illustrating the individuality and the unity in the body by repeating, again, some representative categories of gifts, ministries, callings, and giftedness. It's not an exhaustive list of gifts. And Paul, uh, Paul's way of showing the variety of gifts in which the Lord Jesus equips his people to do his work harmoniously, harmoniously in the church. That's what he, he's just saying. This is what needs to take place when these, things, these gifts are being exercised in the church for harmony. They should be. And he reiterates that God has wonderfully designed our giftedness to have a variety we all have the same gifts. There, must, there will be a unity in that diversity. And then Paul says something interesting here at the end, uh, in the middle of verse, uh, beginning of verse 31. He says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. This almost, is, think, if we think about it, it's almost like it's contrary. Now Paul is saying that you shouldn't be desiring those and now you should. And with all Paul has said in this chapter, it cannot mean that they should desire the more prominent showy gifts. Paul has already pointed out the sinfulness of of doing that and their their, um, lack of sight of seeing the, the, the necessity of all of the gifts functioning properly within the church. Most commentators believe this should not be seen as an imperative or a command. But instead, based upon the Greek, the verb allows it in the Greek, the, um, it's indic- it should be an indicative. It should be a statement of fact. And it's part of Paul's correction. And it could be rendered, you are desiring the showy gifts wrongly. And you should not be doing this. Because I have a better thing for you to focus on. There's something else that you, you should be looking at. And that's why he says in, at the end of verse 31, and I show you still a more excellent way. Stop craving for the showy gifts and prominence. You're derailing the church and the effectiveness of the church and grasp the more excellent way, which is love. And Brian Chandler is going to unpack that next week in chapter 13 for us when we meet together. By way of application, 
I wanted to give you some things that you could go home with and pray over and consider for yourself. This came from, again, Tom's message on gifted to serve in his series. What are some practical steps to identify your giftedness? Well, first, do what we're doing here today. Study what the scriptures say about spiritual gifts. Look at the sample lists. Look at the description of each one of the gifts. What does it say about, that, about them and see how they are used in people's lives in, in the scriptures. And then secondly, pray for God's direction, that he would direct you in a place of ministry in the church where you can really serve him the way that you were meant to serve him with the giftedness, the palate that God has, when he's touched the spiritual palate and he's daubed that on your life for the rest of your life, pray that God would direct you and give you a place of ministry. Third, assess your desires, weaknesses, and strengths. You know what you want to do, and what do your gifts seem to point you towards in the church? And seek the wisdom of others and the confirmation of those who are spiritually mature. Have them help affirm and direct you in the right path. And then, so important, this last one, begin to faithfully serve. We, we tend to gravitate towards our giftedness, and God has given you a special capacity just get busy and serve. Do something. Serve in the church. Roll up your sleeves. Find something to do. And, and as you are doing these things, God will use these other points that I've said here to direct you. Um, you've heard the, you've heard the, um, the statement, it's, it's hard to steer a parked car. I used to have a Many years ago, a Volkswagen that the battery used to die a lot, and I used to have to push it, and I put it in a parking lot, kind of a little bit of an incline, and it was hard to steer when it was parked. But once it got going, you could steer that car. And it's hard to steer a parked car, so if we engage and do something, as you do that, God will direct you to the place of your proper service as you're praying, and there's an answer to prayer, and you're affirmed by those uh, spiritually mature Christians in the church. And then Paul, uh, Tom also gave some timeless lessons from that message, and this kind of just wraps up our lesson today. First, learn to value the diversity of gifts God has placed within the church. The reason why I so love 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is because it shows us the unique, special work that God the Holy Spirit is doing here at Countryside, or maybe the church that you belong to if you're visiting. It's not haphazard. It's not an accident that you're in the church that you are and a member where you are. And your gifts that you were given at the time of your salvation are not a mistake. They are exactly what God wanted you to have for you to be able to use all of your Christian life wherever you are serving in whatever church, in whatever capacity that you serve in. It's, it's a, it is just mind-blowing. It is it, is, uh, it is, strikes awe in our hearts, and we ought to be humbled and blessed when we think about what God is doing in and through the church with the giftedness. So learn to value it. Secondly, never become discontented with your giftedness as you compare it to others. Don't consider your gifts to be more important than others. Pride, arrogance, don't let that, that seep in. We, need every, we all need each other. Expend the maximum effort to make progress in the use of your gift. I think that's pretty self-evident. Fifthly, de develop a constant awareness that God is sovereign in the character of your gifts, what the gift will be, the context, your ministry, and the results of your, your efforts. And lastly, determine to have the right motives as you, as you use your gifts to build up the body 
and to glorify the Lord. We've been given those gifts to build the body up, to edify the body. Verse 7, for the common good, for its profit, not for ourselves, but for the profit of the body. And lastly, on your sheets down the bottom of the back side of your sheet, there are some resources there. If you want to, to, to go listen to a message, there is, uh, if you go to our, our Countryside website and you go to Media, Media Archives, and then you can search, there's a search field, you can type in spiritual gift. And a lot, of, a lot of messages will come up from all the different ones that have um, been by several speakers. But if you want to key in on the ones that I mentioned before, Pastor Tom's series was in 2020. It's five parts. It's Romans 12, Gifted to Serve. And he also has, uh, in 2004, there's one on 1 Peter chapter 4, Understanding Your Spiritual Gifts. And certainly there's so many books uh, cessationist uh, DVD you could get a hold of when it comes to the topic of the temporary gifts ceasing. And lastly, the systematic theology book, Biblical Doctrine by MacArthur and Mayhew, section 9 under the church, under the subsection of spiritual gifts around page 800 is a great place, and you'll see some of the, the information that I shared with you this morning. So what a great chapter, what a great topic, what a blessing it is for the Lord to give us these gifts. And as you leave this room, I would say, just go forth and exercise your gifts for the, the, the profit of the church and for the glory of the Lord. Let's pray. Let's pray as we conclude. Our Father in heaven, how blessed we are when we consider these words given by the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul to, to correct the issues that were going on in the Corinthian church in the New Testament times, and yet it's so applicable for us today. We need to understand what you've done in our lives individually as far as gifting us and equipping us for ministry here at Countryside. And it is nothing to be taken lightly when we consider the spiritual endowment that you've given us as you have desired to bless us with the abilities that we have. We thank you for that. Lord, help us to be faithful, to be obedient, to exercise, to employ these gifts for the building up of the body, for the body's profit, not our own, and certainly for the glory of the Lord. Help us, equip us, use us for Jesus' sake, and we thank you in his name. Amen.